Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Mr. Siddons. Hey, what's welcome, happening? Welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, more on that in a second. And uh, Peter Crable. Yes. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to see you guys. Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a podcast media company that, get ready, curates high-quality audio stories across a variety of genres. Mr. Siddons, where are you? I'm at home. I, 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 I'm still operating on the the uh, quarantining, working from home memo. All right. So for our listeners, um, I didn't know last, that was lifted. Last episode, I think I floated the idea that we would have our first in-person recording session uh, this next episode. And I was getting done dinner tonight and I looked out the front <laughs> side door and Mr. Crable was pulling up. And I lo- I said, what are you doing? With his air mattress. <laughs> so And a sleeping bag. bag. Yeah. So Mr. Crable's here, and we're recording with a terrible echo that hopefully <laughs> can't hear because we just put our audio together at the last minute. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, Mr. Sins, you are on Zoom, but we still have you. That's right. That's right. Apparently, two, thing, two things can be true at once, right? Where it's uh, either both of us weren't listening or... Uh, you know, it just didn't, you know, I just didn't pay attention. Apparently I took the conversation literally that we would literally get together in person. <laughs> right. Not, not figuratively, I guess. <laughs> I do, I do have to I do have to say, CH, I, I did feel a little bit better when the text came through from you and said at seven that you were on zoom waiting for us because <laughs> usually aren't I the one that just doesn't, is not on the same page mostly. So you were, I wasn't alone this time. And I emailed you the the link right away. When I said to Robbie, I said, I think he knows. I said, I texted him to ask whether we should use one microphone or whether I should bring all the equipment over. And he was like, no, we can't do that. It'll sound terrible. So I, I was no, like, no, oh, no, I no, think no. he understood. No. The, 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 listen, what you said was, <laughs> what do, you think, do you think we can record on Zoom in person? And I said, no, definitely not. <laughs> For our upcoming in-person <laughs> You didn't add that. That, that was a subtext. That, that. Was, that was the parents uh, at the end of that. <laughs> There's <sentence>. no parents. <laughs> All right. Well, we are doing it. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone. We are glad that you're here. We have a great show planned tonight. As always, you can find us at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter. Tweet us, and we will tweet you back. And check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Tonight, we are excited to have an interview with uh, Sebastian Turbo, who's the CEO and Chief Curator of Eco6, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Siddons, is a Canada-based consultancy that uh, uh, guides government, cities, businesses, and civil liberty, civil, <laughs> civil society, civil liberties in a civil society, That's uh, right. creating engaging platforms that turn ideas into action. Um, I think he would be what's known as an influencer, and we're going to talk about influencers in just a little bit that's right it's what we want to be so tell us tell share with the listeners about um the wise partnership and how sebastian fits into that so i I came to know sebastian through the uh conference on building learning ecosystems a couple weeks ago that they uh that wise hosted wise is an organization based in cutter and france and they're really one of the things that they've been promoting recently is the development of learning ecosystems. And what we're trying to do with our interviews with our friends at Wise is to figure out what are learning ecosystems and why are they positive and good for kids and communities, and how can you get them off the ground and running? Yeah, especially in the 
pandemic recovery phase that we're about to enter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see the light. I see the light. All right. So we're going to be interviewing Sebastian. That's going to be very cool. All right. Before we do that, though, um, I learned today what a geriatric millennial <laughs> is. And you two know what geriatric millennials are. I think one of you qualifies and one of you doesn't. So one of you is a well, one of you is a geezer millennial. <laughs> cue the cue the geezer. Rich, <laughs> I can feel the weather in my knees. My knees and my back. <laughs> and uh, one of you is is not, and I of course am not. I would I might be considered a geriatric Gen Xer. Um, so. Erica Dewan has a piece in Index, Why the Hybrid Workforce of the Future Depends on the Geriatric Millennial. So here we go, Mr. Crable. Millennials born between 1980 and 1985 know how to work across generational divides. So the conceit of this is, and I want you two to weigh in on what exactly a geriatric millennial is in your minds, but... You straddle this time of um, uh, uh, phones on the wall and message machines <laughs> and uh, PCs in your home and um, what was it called? MySpace. My, yeah. Yeah, yeah, MySpace. Friendster. Uh, Friendster. That you've uh, that you've 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 experienced both those eras. You're you're comfortable kind of in both of those domains. Leading CEOs in the world right now are considered geriatric millennials. People like Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. He's 1984. Um, Reddit's Alex Ohanian, 1983. Rent the Runways, Jennifer Fleiss, 1985. And Airbnb's Brian Chesky, 1981. Same as you, Mr. Graves. That's right. Um, so... Tell me about a geriatric millennial. Do you feel like one, you two? I would I would say that I do. Um, we've had this conversation on this show a number of times, and I've always felt like the millennial label wasn't entirely accurate because to me it was, um, you know, kids that like had cell phones at ten or something like that. Kids that were that grew up completely immersed in in technology, and maybe that was just my own poor understanding of what a millennial was or my rejection of a label because I'm an individual. Not a label. I don't, I don't subscribe to labels. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I think the general premise is true in terms of the fact that we are people my age are a generation that grew up without any really any technology or very little technology. And then in our formative years, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 is when some of the the what we would call like modern technology came about, you know, like right. signing onto Prodigy using the your your Prodigy. landline, yeah, using your landline or whatever. I remember having one of those early Macs uh, in the house and playing these like ridiculous, utterly stupid games on them. I remember, you know, yes. Oregon Trail. You know, oh, that was another amazing. name. The Oregon, yeah, the Oregon Trail generation. So anyway, I I do think um, I do think it's a fair label. It's a it's a kind of funny label as well. Um, but I, I'm, I'm down because um, I do think it kind of hits a, you know, a, a specific time and place. You can quibble over the years, 1979, 1987, whatever. But I think in general, I'm, I'm down with him, down to be a geriatric millennial. Yeah, I, 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 I co-sign that. And I, I, the only thing I'd like to add is I think it's, it, it allows for the nuance of a generation, which 
we have a 1981 millennial here uh, and you Crable 85 for me. And then my younger brother who was born in 1992 is technically considered a millennial, but we could not be more different in our, our outlook on life, our, our, the way that we grew up with, with technology and the way that we uh, interact with others. And, and I'm not saying in a necessarily a good or bad way, but uh, I, she calls it almost like uses the label as a micro generation, which I appreciate. We're, we're a subset of a generation with totally different skills in ways that other parts of the generation, I, I think, don't. You know, I, I kind of can I be resentful for a second? Um, you can listen, you can be as resentful as you want. I, I just the, this idea that that you that you're that geriatric millennials kind of straddled the the, the almost no technology and then the introduction of technology. I almost we own I, that label. No, I feel like you're, <laughs> I feel like you're stealing that mantle from Gen X a little bit. Um, just because, because you're a forgotten generation doesn't mean you okay. need the article doesn't mean, literally only mentions boomers and millennials and Gen Z. It does, like, doesn't mean that you need to hold, you need to hold us accountable for it. Okay, you know what I mean, uh, there are only there are only forty million of us in the workforce, and there are right. 70, seventy million of you. Annoyed. I know you're resentful of my opinions, my opinions about '80s music, but I've come around. I, I have a much greater appreciation for '80s music now. I, I, know, I know you have. So, so I, I just want to say that. Oh, Mr. Crable, that echo is killing me. <laughs> I can't even speak. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to fight through it. Um, I mean, there were TVs in the 70s. That's all we had. And then there were desktops in the 80s. But I guess by the 80s, I was a teenager. Um, so maybe that disqualifies us. From well, and I don't know. I, I do think... Um, you were still, even in your twenties, I think you're still pretty like malleable and learning. So when a lot of that stuff came out for you, it wasn't like you were so set in your ways and had like absolutely so adapted to the typewriter and fax machine that you were, it, that you really had a hard time, you know, and I, to get to the, the sort of specifics of the characteristics and labels, which I, which I think is the, the more interesting part. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that I kind of see and or agree with um you know i do think that the the line that really got to me in terms of geriatric millennials was they are neither ignorant of technology nor so engrossed in it that a voicemail inspires fear (laughs) i love that i got that quote too and you know i do think it's taking extremes on either end where let's just make broad brushes gen z is so face down in social media and their phones and, and their devices that they can't interact with humans and right. baby boomers are so old and technologically incompetent that they can't figure out how to turn a computer on, you know, n- neither right. of which is true. But I do think, um, I mean, Casey, I feel like, correct me if, if, if this is your experience, I'm, I'm it, let's just say at work, I'm good with technology. I don't right. feel particularly knowledgeable about it. But a lot of people come to me that are older and like, wow, you know how to do that? I'm like, yeah, oh, I turned it off and on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an ego boost. Yeah, but that kind of like to me embolizes it where when things go wrong, specifically with technology, for some people, I'll just, you know, again, generalizing that are older, it seems like an intractable problem. that They just have no, no skills to like problem solve. Well, and, and, and honestly, there's, there's, there is between, so millennial is bridging as it is, I think it does bridge this because we have, we have Gen X 
and and older who are who look to millennials to troubleshoot because we have the patience and the wherewithal to actually help them troubleshoot whatever issue they're having. And then you have Gen Z, which I think my younger brother is kind of in this a little bit where they don't have the they, they don't they don't know how to troubleshoot. They don't know how to uh, fix a problem with technology because the technology that we have now largely you know works. <laughs> you didn't have to go into the the MS DOS prompt to like figure out what's going on. You didn't have to open up the computer to figure out what was going wrong with the fan or the the the, the analog stuff about it. So I, I, it's interesting because the the students that I have, you know, they're always on their phones. They're always using technology, but they don't know how to troubleshoot or don't know how, again, broad brush. They don't know necessarily very, how to. Very broad <laughs> brush. My, my son, who's a Gen Z, built his desktop upstairs. Okay. That is a, that is a very, that is a very not. We're only talking for, to generalizations. For that generation. I, I, but no, I know that's not true. The kids that are really into gaming. We're literally PCs, talking about generations, uh, generations. So we the, can be the, general. <laughs> The, the the only thing that I would say about Gen Z is that I, I'm not sure that I can form an opinion on them yet. I, I don't, you know, supervising people in the workplace. Do I have a Gen Z person that works for yeah, me? That's what I was about point? to ask. I'm not sure that I do. Um, maybe, right. may, maybe a few, but not many. And so it's a, the sample size is still very small yeah. for, for me to, sure. to even paint with a broad brush for right. Gen Zers. Um, I mean, That's I think fair. every I think everything you're saying about geriatric millennials is is true. But but then again, the the author of the article talks about the lack of comfort with the the old telephone. I um, lo- that is an interesting commentary yeah, too. Uh, but like- but but most of my counseling of millennials has been about pick up the phone and yes. call the person. Right. Um, because I, you know, when I was training principals, I would have principals, they would send me a thread with a parent that was, you know, 12 responses long. And I would think to myself, paragraphs, when are you going to pick up the phone and talk to them or ask them to come into the school? So, and and I, I, I do sense that with new, the new teachers with whom I worked, which was their communication with parents and families largely consisted of, Oh, I emailed them. Well, I mean, that's really not, they're probably not answering that. There's a reason why. Yeah. And you didn't, and you didn't do that when you worked, when we worked together, you every year called called every parent. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how about this, how about this piece about geriatric millennials can teach the traditional communication skills to younger employees and digital body language to older team members. So let's think in terms of ed leadership, organizational development, teams, um, just the future of the field. What do you think geriatric millennials bring to it? I, I think um, as I've thought about this more, I actually think the um, the the teaching of older coworkers and or colleagues, the digital nuances, I think that's actually pretty overblown because uh, I was thinking about it and, you know, my parents are both boomers, but we text all the time. They send ridiculous emojis, you know, all the time. So I think 10 years ago, this this probably would have been a much more salient point about like, oh, they don't know how to text and all this new stuff. But now I'm like, eh, like the the inability to read like digital body language, which which was something I never heard before. Um, I, I don't really think that's true anymore. I think 
if not on the same playing field, it's pretty close now that they've adapted, I think, pretty well because it's it's not new anymore. So I, I think that part um, is not necessarily true. I, I do think the opposite, though, is true of the counseling of younger people coming into the workforce now. I do think that there is some some truth to like learning how to, uh, you know, I'll say be professional, but that's that's a that's not exactly what I mean. Um, but to to learn to read people, to converse, to pick up the phone and call them. But at the same time, what what twenty three, twenty four, twenty five year old comes in fully professional or and or developed? Not, I think you know, it's, right. No matter what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they need I, coaching. Yeah, and I, so I think I think it'll be interesting just to see how that plays out as Gen Z does come in, who have spent so much time on technology, right. whether that's actually true or not. I I think I might add that, um, you know, I I you all both know that I've spent the last, I guess, ten to twelve years hiring millennials. I've, I've hired a lot of millennials in, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in my time. Thanks, and, Robbie. <laughs> and, and I, yeah, thank you. I mean, they're, <laughs> as, he, as he looks at his phone, that was, that was the most, Sorry. that was, that was not a very authentic. I apologize. Um, I just totally <laughs> called you out. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I mean, I, as, as many jokes as I make and as much generational banter as we have, um, it's uh, millennials are the most skilled, smartest, savviest employees to ever hit the workforce in my mind. Um, and I do think geriatric millennials have the ability of having a little bit of that old school Gen X time before technology kind of with itness combined with your 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 really great tech skills and an ability to solve problems so quickly and i think i think it endears us to i think that's going to be helpful the older folks not old old but like the, the older folks that we're working with when we were entering the workforce when i could tell someone that i'm you know who's 20 years my senior and i'm saying i have a record player at home which yeah. i do you know yeah. i think it i honest that sounds silly but those little things that I can, I can relate on a personal level, the, the love of listening to music on vinyl. Right. Right. Whereas it's not something that's a norm, but it's something that can bring people together in a way that maybe wouldn't be otherwise. But to the author's point, the old folks like me and boomers before us, um, most of your impact is going to be on those that come after you. And that's true. And the people that, you know, the, the Gen Zers and even younger that you hire, that you develop. Um, so it's that skill set that I just described that I think will lend itself to, um, you know, building better organizations and schools and such. That is right. interesting. In 10 years, we're going to have the conversation about, Casey, how we hired all these Gen oh, Zers. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think it's going to be incredible to see what they're, to see what they're like. Yeah. Yeah. Know? That's um, fascinating. They're not going to be right. as good as our generation, but <laughs> all, right. all right. So just for the, just for the record, for the audience, uh, Crable, 1981, Mr. Siddons, 1985. That's right. And Dr. Dodd here at 1968. 1968. Well, two, I remember two decades uh, removed. I yeah. remember going to the old strand movie theater. <laughs> For a nickel. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
what's the what's the piece again, Mr. Siddons? Where do you find it? It's on Medium, and we'll put it in the show notes. But it's called "Why the Hybrid Workforce of the Future Depends on the Geriatric Millennial." All right, it's a it's a it's a good piece, folks. Check it out. Um, when we come back, we are going to be interviewing uh, Sebastian Turbo, the CEO and Chief Curator of Eco Six. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. We are so excited to welcome Sebastian Turbo. Uh, Sebastian, thanks for coming on the show to talk to us today about learning ecosystems. Excited to have you. Well, uh, Casey, same here. Really excited to be here and to be here with your audience. And and uh, I have to say for a plug for our longtime listeners, they'll be very excited to know that you are one of two guests that we've had that have been able to make the connection between Ed's Not Dead and Pulp Fiction. So you go. thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so uh, I became familiar with some of your work and, and the, the things that you've been working on through the WISE organization and the conference they had about uh, learning ecosystems just maybe over a month ago. And, you know, we've been talking on our show about learning ecosystems, maybe not in, in its specifically defined format, but... I think we it's almost like something that we've talked about in the past, like community schools. So my first question about for you is, is what is a learning ecosystem? It seems like pretty fancy stuff, but can you tell us about learning ecosystem? And if you could also bridge that gap for us with with your work with Eco6. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I kind of find it always hard to talk about learning ecosystems or actually to try to define it because I mean, it's it's. At the same time, it's simple and complex. It's like, you know, like with systems change, it's hard to see the parts from the whole and the whole from the parts. Um, but actually, it's quite simple. And the way we, we define it with WISE is that learning ecosystems are ecosystems that comprise a diverse combination of providers, of learning providers, schools, businesses, community organizations, you know, museums, uh, as well as government agencies. Uh, and these organizations try to leverage existing informal and non-formal uh, learning opportunities or create new opportunities through pathways to success. Also, usually these learning ecosystems are, su- are supported by an innovative credentialing system. We'll come back to it probably, you know, like digital badges, for example, uh, and also supported by a technology platform that tries to connect learners with this learning uh, and to also kind of measure and recognize and certify that learning uh, that kind of ideally augments the kind of more traditional linear system of, you know, examinations and graduations and the uh, and tests. And and one of the things that I was thinking about as you're sharing this is uh, w- something that I grew up with not experiencing, but in my schools was um, like vocational schools. And now we're shifting more in the U.S. to we're, we're, we're moving towards like a college and career readiness programs where they're they're focusing on maybe certifications for healthcare professions or they're focusing on maybe more like the as we called in the past, like vocational uh, skills like how, do you feel that that's part of that conversation on learning ecosystems or does it go even deeper into the community 
Well, two things here. One, yes, indeed, many of the learning ecosystems that exist today that we're looking at with WISE uh, will focus on skills generally. Uh, but more specifically, it's a lot about you know, kind of 21st century skills, uh, you know, collaboration, communication, creativity that everyone agrees is going to be really important, important for the workforce of tomorrow. Lots of learning ec ecosystems also focus on STEM, you know, science, technology, um, and, and math, um, and a lot as well on kind of like digital skills, you know, coding and uh, and things like that. Um, on the kind of credentialing question, it goes back to this idea of badges. And usually to try to explain that to people, you know, if you remember when you were small and you were maybe a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, or you have friends who were, you know, at the Boy Scouts, if you learned to make a fire, you would get the actual little badge, you know, the little Thing right. you, you could pin, you know, saying, well, uh, Casey knows how to make a fire. Uh, it's really kind of the same idea, but 2.0, where the learning that's happening within learning ecosystems, you, you, you go and you learn something and you get a badge to be able to certif certify that learning and for you to be able to demonstrate it to maybe your peers or your teacher or, you know, potentially employers. And, and so these, I'm curious about these badges, like, is it with this micro-credentialing, does it include assessments for doing certain things and then you carry that on as you go into college and career? Yes, the idea is for you to be able to develop your own kind of portfolio of, of badges. Um, this is where, you know, kind of links to question around personalized learning that's happening under uh, learning ecosystems, the whole question of, learn, you know, learner agency for, mm -hmm. for, for you as a learner to be able to, to take control, to have ownership of your learning. Um, and then there's there are different badging system out there that exists. Uh, some are more, I would say, complex than others. So sometimes it's just you've participated in an activity, you get a badge. Sometimes it's you've participated, you get one level of the badge. Uh, if you've uh, been able to demonstrate some type of learning linked to that activity, you have a, another level of the badge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it kind of depends. It's it's almost reminds me, I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty big uh, video game fan. And it almost reminds me of like the badges that you get as you're leveling up your experience in a, in a video game. I'm not a big <laughs> video game, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's linked to that. But but with really the size of your you being able to have a portfolio and to be able to take it some, you know, it's 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 right. not just for your kind of your own sake or to show to your buddies, but also to be able to go and see an employer and say. I don't know, let's say I want to work in the automotive industry and I have sure. no experience. I don't have the time or the resources to go to formal kind of training opportunities or go back to school or go back to college. Well, by learning with and by my community, I can develop part of those skills and be able to say, look, I don't have the quote unquote diploma, but I've done all these, all these learning activities which should be able to demonstrate to you through these badges that I do have some understanding of the industry, some understanding of the skills needed, and I have dem demonstrated the ability to master those skills. And that, that speaks so powerfully to where I think education is heading in terms of, you know, like you said, you don't need this necessarily this piece of paper that said that you graduated from this particular institution that qualifies you for this. But I think it also shows to employers and to people are, you're, you know, you're with whom you're working, I, uh, I have a, a vast amount of skills and, and you know, the, the nuance to my being as a skilled person, here's all my credentials. I think that really speaks to that. So I'm, I'm curious as to how, does, how do you see this as compared to current education reforms in the U.S. and abroad 
you know, broadly, I guess. Well, first, maybe to, to say that because I've 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 heard this before, is that this whole kind of energy momentum around learning ecosystems is this is not saying that we're going to replace formal education with learning ecosystems. Learning ecosystems are really here seen as a way to augment, support, complement formal education, but not to replace it uh, at all. Just want to, right. to, to, to clarify that for sure. your audience. Um, that being said, where it fits into lots of kind of global conversations around education reform is that, yes, it's, it's a lot about lifelong learning in the sense of it's also about, you know, people be you know, older, adults, if you want, not just students right. to be able to access these ecosystems, to be able to, you know, to reskill, upskill, you know, kind of, you know, all the time, all the talk we're having right now around post pandemic and people wanting to change jobs and things like that. Uh, so it's about lifelong learning. It's about really delivering on personalized learning. Um, it's also looking at a lot of these, you know, uh, 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 sorry, pedagogies like uh, play-based learning, project-based learning. So it's, it's actually trying to really kind of I don't know if I could say it that way, but kind of take the best of a lot of these reforms and kind of try to bundle it together um, under under this idea where you can also learn in your community. You can learn in school, right. but you can also learn in and with your community. That's great. Um, so tell me, tell our listeners about, so one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is, so we have these reforms or we have these initiatives perhaps and how, how does it work? So what, what's, what kind of data do, do you have that says learning ecosystems are working and they're good for kids and adults alike? Look, a really interesting question because to my knowledge, and you know, if people in your audience have seen something, please share it with me. But I'm still to find a kind of you know, longitudinal kind of long-term uh, impact study of learning ecosystems on the actual learning outcomes. You know? um, so this is still kind of in the works, and this is something we're just discussing with WISE of trying, to, sure. of trying to, to, to work on. What I can tell you is that in terms of, you know, the learning sciences have made great progress in being able to understand the potential of informal learning, play-based learning, project-based learning. So there's a lot out there on that, which is really central to learning ecosystems, but on learning ecosystems per se, not that much because this is still a relatively new kind of field and territory that that people people are working on. Um, but back to the badges and just, just in, in, in a few seconds to say that the badges are a way many say that the badges are a way to potentially measure the impact of the learning sure. at, le at, at least short term and like kind of, kind of like medium term but uh yeah uh the whole long-term impact measurement of learning ecosystems it's something we want to work on yeah that makes sense uh and i think it, I, i'm curious also to see or to what what has been your your view on uh, the extent to which the pandemic and school closures and across the globe has impacted the progress of learning ecosystems, or maybe has it strengthened the the desire and the need for them? I think both, uh, in the sense of you know, 
people have realized around the world that education, the formal education sector is, was, was more fragile than we all thought, you know, yeah. and that it didn't take that much to kind of close, close our schools. Um, and that we needed to find kind of other ways, other like more community-based ways to, to encourage that, you know, that learning continues. Also, I think the pandemic has helped us realize the power and the potential of our communities and our neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, the fact that we've had, you know, that, that we couldn't move around, but had to rediscover actually, you know, our back alleys, our, our lo local parks and everything else, realize that there's potential for more community-based activities at large and hence right. for more community-based uh, learning activities uh, more specifically. Um, so no, indeed, indeed, in a way, the, the pandemic has really kind of helped us push the envelope uh, in terms of the conversational learning ecosystems. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's it's helping us reimagine what what education should and could look like, I think, across the globe, really. Uh, and we'd be remiss to not uh, reevaluate what we have done in the past and what maybe hasn't worked. Um, and what could be an addendum, as you say, we're not necessarily replacing traditional public schools or private schools. It's more of how can we strengthen and and make it even more, I, I, I think the, the phrase you used was lifelong learners. How do we, we're always trying to push that for our students and our communities. How do we continue to do that? And, and learning ecosystems seem like it's it's on that path. Um, what's next for learning ecosystems and for your work specifically with Eco6? And what do you hope to achieve? And what, what do you think it says about the larger changes of education in our society? Uh, well, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll mention why first the World Innovation Summit for Education, where, where the kind of the big question we're trying to answer is that we're seeing more and more kind of research on learning ecosystems, more and more projects around learning ecosystems. What we feel is currently missing for those who see the potential and would like to kind of initiate a learning ecosystem in their communities, you know, whether you're the director of a museum in Bangkok or, you know, you're leading uh, several schools in Guatemala or, or anywhere else, what we feel is missing is a kind of a toolbox, uh, a kind of go-to hub with design principles looking at, you know, how do we get these, these different organizations to collaborate? What are the kind of leadership and governance models? What yeah. type of pedagogy should you could you be looking at? Uh, back to the whole question around micro credentials. So we're 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 trying to develop this kind of I wouldn't say database, but this knowledge hub of, of design mm. principles to be able to, to to share that with our wider community to enable people who do want to design learning ecosystems to be able to to do so. Uh, and as I was saying a few minutes before, also looking at int how in terms of research, we kind of, we can kind of improve what's out there and looking at pedagogies linked to formal curriculums. Uh, also, you know, around kind of social capital, sure. you know, how does how does the learning ecosystem approach improve the social capital of the learners and how can we measure it um, and how does how does this help these learners um, uh, thrive in in life that's great that's great well Sebastian uh, before we uh, close out our interview I, I wanted to allow you to plug yourself a little bit so tell our listeners about eco six and what you're all working on as an organization and and where they can find you 
Well, uh, so Equisix is a, a small Canadian-based uh, kind of you know uh, agency based here in, in Montreal, Canada. Uh, we work with, I would say, urban actors, whether whether that be cities or businesses or institutions such as museum, in designing urban urban ecosystems with a big focus on learning ecosystems, uh, of course. Um, uh, but to give you an, uh, an example, we're also working with a, a host of organizations here in Montreal, looking at the potential for community-based learning through business events. Basically oh, saying, wow. you know, all these cities around the world attract these big conferences, but what does that mean for the actual host community? If your city, right. Casey, hosts in six months from now a big conference on the future of mobility uh, or the future of education for that matter, sure. how, do, how does that actually impact your community? So lo looking at that, on how we can better think our events uh, to ensure that they have that they have a uh, impact yeah that's great well th thank you so much sebastian for coming on the show uh and i, I want to bring you back with with uh, peter and robbie when they're not so busy in, in their their ad administrative world so uh thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join us on ed's not dead and, and we'll have to we want to get you back on the show uh another time in the near future so thanks for for joining us that would be great thank you very much Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. Ed's Not Dead is still brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a podcast media company that curates high-quality audio stories across a variety of genres. All right, boys, it is that time of the show where we have a quiz, Mr. Siddons. Hey, do you want a quiz? There's two versions. Well, I love, I like the two forms. I like the all two forms. All right, you form. ready? All right. So one, uh, there's names for them this time. Okay. Are you ready? Hey, am I supposed to be looking at the show notes? This or something? No, 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 no. no. Okay, you ready? So the answers so you are in the choose. show notes. Okay. So, uh, Pink or Floyd? Crable, which one do you want? Pink, Pink. I'm Pink. <laughs> which oh, one's Robbie, by the way? Okay. Which one's Pink? I guess I'll which be Floyd. One's pink. Alrighty. All right. Well, Pink is up first. You ready? Number one. Live at Pompeii. Oh, so these are not multiple choice, by the way. You just Good. have to guess. Okay. If you want a multiple choice, you you lose a half point. So this, hold on. I forgot how we did this last time. So this quiz this is, is just, just yours. This is just, just yours. Five just questions. Yours. Five questions. Three, three, and three. three. Uh, All right, okay. short and sweet. Number one: <laughs> The United Nations condemned the Israeli bombing of a high-rise in the Gaza Strip that housed the offices of inter international media outlets, including Al Jazeera and the. Good luck with that one. <laughs> okay. Do I know multiple choice? Yeah, I mean, this is that's a, a New York Times, B Associated Press, C the Palestine Report, or D MSNBC offices. The Palestine Report, it's actually the Associated Press. I did B, not know. Number I, I, two, I, <laughs> no, go ahead. You can you can justify yourself. No, no this is fine. This that's a dumb <laughs> question, but go ahead. <laughs> number two house republicans chose new york representative blank to replace liz cheney oh. as their third ranked leader okay let's see if i can get her name right it's going to be close it's like okay. safankis i'll i'm going to take it at least yeah, i'll take, yeah. take it okay All well right. done yeah. RD. She, and, and and wasn't she wasn't she i mean wasn't she kind of anti-trump or or at least a moderate republican and she was a moderate when she came in and now she's she had the kool-aid and 
the, the Mar-a-Lago Kool-Aid and the Kool-Aid you know, tastes so good. It the tastes tipping, so good. The, the once it hits point, your lips. The tipping point for her though was the election, right? I mean, even leading up to the election, she was no sick. the impeachment. Oh, the impeachment. That's right. Got yep. it. Got yep. it. Got it. Got it. Yep. Okay. And All right. She, so she had a nice big swig of the Kool-Aid. All right. Here's my chance to go two out of three. All right. Number three. Colonial Pipeline paid nearly how many million dollars in 4. ransom to hackers? Million. That is well, it's five million, but yes, you got it. Actually, I think they, it's 4. they rounded up. I think it's four. It was 4. It, million. it was exactly four point four million, but they wow. only rounded up. Jeez, <laughs> I was I was kind of into that story. I followed. It was it. very interesting. Very it was interesting. it was interesting. They they totally, right. they totally capitulated to the to the uh, hackers. They yeah. did. They did. Yeah. And it's yeah. totally not there. It's going to mean they're not going to do it again. Yeah. Yep. Well, they got paid, so they're good. <laughs> All right. Two out of three. Two out of three. Not bad. Right. Not bad. All right, Floyd. I mean, Mr. Crable. <laughs> Number one. The nation of blank successfully landed a rover on Mars, making it only the second country to do so. Hey, give me multiple choice. No, no. All right. A, Russia. B, India. C, the United Kingdom. Or D, China. I'm going to go with uh, China. Ah, gosh, China is correct. Well done. So lucky. I, I thought he was going to say Russia. I was All right. That was a strategic play, by the way, because I knew <laughs> if I got a half point, I could still win two and a right, half to right. two. All right, go ahead. That's a good point. Number two, anger over a now withdrawn tax hike proposed by President Ivan Duque has morphed into massive protests against poverty, inequality, and police violence in blank. Dozens of people have been killed and many more are missing amid a brutal police crackdown. Hey, hey, by the way, hold on. Yeah. While you're thinking about it. I think there should only be a there should only be a multiple choice lifeline on one question. He can't, <laughs> he can't go multiple choice every question because that's what yeah, he's but no, he if I did, I'd only get one and a half. A, yeah, you lose a half point. All right. Uh, can you spell his last name, please? D-U-Q-U-E. Is it in South America? I don't think I can answer that. No, <laughs> no, no hints. He's a, he's a, his name's a little like Sebastian Turbos. Is it Canada? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> I don't think it's Canada, Robbie. I'm just saying it might maybe. Does like, Ivan have an uh, anything over his A, like an accent yes. over his A? Ivan, yeah. I'm gonna go with. No, give me, give me, give me multiple choice. All right, A. Chile, B. Peru, C. Colombia, D. Venezuela. I'm gonna go with Colombia. Colombia is correct. That is what Very I was gonna good, say. Mr. <laughs> oh, wasted half a point. Number three. Because you said it's so weird. So he's at. A, so let me just do All the right. math right here. He's at. We can tie one point. One point. He's at 1.0 right now. Correct. Okay. I have to answer All this right. one. Got to get this one right. No multiple choice. A blank, a blank named India that went missing in Houston for a week was found unharmed and was taken to oh, a sanctuary. That's going to be easy. I know that one, actually. Well, then this is not my don't, answer. Don't, don't, don't tell it. Don't, don't say anything. Is it a dog, Robbie? Look at me. Look at me. Is it a dog? <laughs> I'm not looking at him. I refuse. Is, it a, is it a horse or a goat? I'm. It don't. If he gets it wrong, Mister Sims, don't say it because I think I know what it is. Is it an animal okay. endemic to Texas? No hints, Mister Sims. 
He's he's he trying has. To, no, I'm trying to break Robbie's poker face here. He, he has no lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> he turned the screen off. Don't turn your screen off because I've been staring. I've been staring at you, so I don't have to look at Mr. <laughs> uh, uh, something named India was returned to its owner. Is that what you're saying? Blank named India. Oh, I know this one. Tiger. Tiger is correct. Tiger is correct. You read him India again, and that's what did it. Oh, Mr. Craves, good pull. That was good. Do you you want to know? I don't have a type. That that was, you know, that was an example of test taking of being completely like having having no clue really no clue at all and then all of a sudden somehow your brain fires or uh, came out of nowhere power of association <laughs> he he reread that to you and you bam it's crazy all right good, all right, good quiz good quiz i i do i think a longer form can we do five next time i'll work on it i'll work on five and five okay i, I do like I can the, do that i do like the uh the ab so form. so so what's the so pink and floyd tied that's right Yep, that's right. It'll be a different name next time, Mr. Siddons. I was listening to Animals last night. Oh, oh really? Great album, yes. Great album. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually think the more I listen to it, I think it's their best album. Wow. Oh, so I disagree. You want to know what their my favorite album is? That there's is. Uh, it's not going to be Division Bell. It's live not, at Pompeii. No, it's, it's no. It's, well, it's, I love Live at Pompeii, but I like a, a studio album. Wish you were here. Nope. Uh, uh, the wall. Nope. He's gonna go with something weird. Okay. Well, what was no, pre animals? No. Metal. Oh, metal. Metal's good. M e d d l e. Yeah, metal's I, good. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's such a great, well composed, well produced album. Yeah, I, 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 I I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and I, I, we listened to that in high school, and I can't really remember it very well. Um, it's, it's it's like a precursor. It was like trying out Dark Side of the Moon. And stuff. and what year what year was it? I'm gonna say seventy. Okay, because Dark Side of the Moon. Because Dark Side Dark came out in seventy two. Seventy two, right. right? And 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 at one time, I don't know if this is correct. Maybe you all can look it up, you geriatric millennials. <laughs> um, since you're so seventy one. Seventy one. Uh, October of seventy one. Dark Side of the Moon held the record for being in the top on the Billboard Top 100 for or one of those for the longest time until the um, Eagles. I think no, I think it was way beyond that. Um, oh no, I mean the Eagles took overtook them and Michael Jackson for the longest are at the top of the charts, right? Or are you just saying like best selling album overall? Overall, I think it was. I don't know. I don't know how to frame the. I don't know how to frame the distinction, but it was a distinction that they held for a very long time. That was kind of like, kind of like Russell Westbrook's triple double uh, breaking of the Big O. That it was a record no one thought would be broken, and then it was broken. Yeah, nine hundred fifty-seven weeks on the Billboard's top LP and tapes oh, charts. Look at that! How many? Nineteen seventy-three, not nineteen seventy-two. So 957 weeks. Yes. Uh, has that been broken or was that the, re- is that still the record? I have seven weeks. It's a lot of weeks. Seven years. It's a lot of weeks. That's a 18 years. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. I mean, that was, so when you think of, when you think of that, that album, that was quite the, that was quite the, that was quite the piece of work. Yes, it was. All right, that's enough down memory lane. Um, yeah. So that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Geriatric millennial, Mr. Crable. 
Dark Side of the Moon was not even 10 years before you were born. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Ooh, man. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, very interesting. Um, and I was just a, I was about to go to kindergarten. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find us at Ed's Not Dead PC. Um, we always appreciate a tweet. Let us know what you're thinking about the show or something about education and check out smash the that subscribe button. Yeah. Smash that subscribe button. Ed's Not Dead.com. Um, thanks again to Sir, uh, Sebastian Turbo. It was great having him on the show. And stay tuned for more of our work with Wise Education. Uh, we've got big things in store. All right, boys. Um, any any bold predictions? Uh, anything interesting coming up that you're looking forward to? I, I'm sticking. I'm sticking to my bold prediction, Mr. Crable, about the Lakers. <laughs> the Lakers, Lakers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, sti- yeah. I'm sticking. <laughs> I'm sticking to that. The Wizards are playing tonight, so we got to get off this show. And so the Pacers. Should I look that up? The, yes. the Pacers yeah. Yeah. playing the. Uh, playing look the at pick. me. Are they playing for the ninth slot or the eighth? Slot? Eight. Eight. This is in. In this win, is winning in it. or in go home. Or, yep. This is it. Um. As, uh, so what? Do, so what do you got going on? Uh, summer is here. Capital Weather Gang, Mr. Siddons, officially said spring is over. It was exactly eight weeks long. Wow. That's pretty good. You know, the spring down in Maryland generally are not uh, very nice because they usually don't last very long. Yeah, mid-Atlantic springs are not very But this spring has been outstanding. May was co- May was cool for most of the month. It was really cool. I was yeah. today was so hot. I was, I was ready for it. I'm re- I love hot weather, man. I, I love summer. I was ready love for hot it. weather. Yeah. Yep. I'm with, with you. you. All right. Um, any any exciting guests, reveals before we go, Mr. Siddons, for anybody going to be on the show? I have some in the hopper that I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from them. Okay. All right. So, we'll But I don't want to expose any of my sources. All right. Don't do it. <laughs> All right, uh, boys. It's great to see you. Thanks, as always, to our listeners. Spread the word about Ed's Not Dead. For Casey and Peter, we will catch you next time. Later, boys. <laughs>